Hey, I'm Vicki McCann, and you're listening to ADW Learn, a podcast for our Archdiocese of Washington educators. As a director for curriculum and instruction for the Archdiocese of Washington, I spearhead all things curriculum standards, resources, instruction, which include professional development and even assessment. I'm actually in my 16th year in ADW with the past three years in this role. I'm excited to finally bring you an episode about Project Zero's visual thinking. I say finally because two of our ADW principals have been involved with this mission out of the Harvard Graduate School of Education for nearly 10 years. This episode is actually a follow-up to our webinar presented by Gerald Smith. He's a principal at one of our ADW schools, St. Thomas More. I will be adding some of his audio clips throughout this episode, but I encourage you to watch his entire webinar, which I'll link in the episode notes. I'd like to welcome Elise to this episode. Elise has always been very willing to share and promote visual thinking, so I'm excited to pick her brain and hear more about this teaching technique. Welcome, Elise. Hi, Vicki. How are you? Good. Thanks for being here. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about your background in role in education? Yes. So... Um, I am the principal of Sacred Heart School, and we are right in the middle of Washington, D.C., up in Mount Pleasant. And we are actually the only bilingual Catholic school in the Archdiocese of Washington. So I've been here for about 10 years. I started here as a math teacher um, in middle school and then became the principal. And yeah, it's been a really fun journey. Prior to that, I was in D.C. public schools for just a little bit, but the majority of my career has been here at Sacred Heart. So this is what I know, and this is what I love. Uh, can you walk us through a little bit of what does it look like to be bilingual? What does the school day look like? Yeah, so the school is so uh, cool. <laughs> I am not bilingual, and I did not grow up in a bilingual school. So it was a real um, eye-opener when I got here how amazing this model is and how well it works. So our littlest kids, our three-, four-, and five-year-olds, are in full immersion Spanish all day, every day. So the classrooms are completely in Spanish, just like a normal classroom, it's just in Spanish. And then in the elementary school, so first through fifth grade, the students do one day in English and then one day in Spanish. And it's the schedule. So, you know, if they have math and then reading and then social studies, it's the exact same schedule each day. It's just the language changes and the teacher changes. But all of our resources are in both languages. So if they are in the math book on chapter three, you know, lesson one, one day, the next day they're continuing with lesson two. Wow. And then in middle school, certain classes are in certain languages. So they take an English language arts class and they read novels. And then it, they also take a Spanish language arts class where they read novels and write essays all in Spanish. It's um, amazing. Those, your students are thriving there. <laughs> it's really, really cool. You know, my grandmother was an immigrant and spoke French. And she thought if she spoke French to her children that it would confuse them. Uh-huh. In one generation, we lost the language completely. I don't speak any French. Wow. Uh, and now I also speak no Spanish either. <laughs> but but here, the kids learn so quickly. The three, four, and five-year-olds are just incredibly fluent from, you know, there's a window of opportunity for language in our brains. Right. The younger are. So it's just a joy to be able to uh, watch them grow. Definitely. So what strategies have helped you create lifelong learners in your school? Yeah, that's a great question, because when you're learning in multiple languages, you really have to ask yourself, you know, what's what does learning look like? (laughs) 
because uh, it could be easy to get stuck into, okay, well, this is English and this is Spanish, but we're really looking right beyond the language and saying, okay, well, what is, what is learning? And how do we learn so that it doesn't matter what language we're in, we're constantly learning. And we actually asked ourselves several years ago, uh, you know, what do we want our kids to remember 40 years from now or 50 years from now? What do we want them to be like in 40 and 50 years? And, you know, like many people, our parents, our teachers, we all said we want them to be Catholic. We want them to have a strong faith. We want them to be loving and compassionate. Uh, but we want them to be curious. So we want them to read and we want them to want to know more information and to, you know, find things out on their own. And so from there, we said, okay, well, we really are focused on some of these dispositions. We keep coming back to these dispositions that we want our kids to have, not necessarily just a concrete list of skills, but a way of being and learning and thinking that we want them to carry with them long after Sacred Heart. And so that led us down a, a long journey with Project Zero, a long journey about how to develop critical thinkers, how to develop these dispositions in kids. And we have been kind of on this journey for the past 10 years, I'd say, looking at, well, how do you do that? Right. And so I like the fact that Gerald mentioned in his webinar that the Project Zero toolbox is purposely called routines, and it's not necessarily an activity. Because I have to say, I have to admit that when I was teaching, I fell into that category of doing a one-time activity, maybe once a year around a holiday, you know, I'd find, I would do like the think, see, wonder one time with my class. And I never really continued that routine. And teachers are always concerned about time and allowing students the time to think and allowing students the time to do these routines instead of activities. So how does Sacred Heart allow time to use this strategy on a regular basis? Yeah, you know, Ron Richard, who is one of the, you know, researchers who does a lot of work in this area of thinking routines, says schools are really good at routines. Like we, we have routines for going to the bathroom. We have routines for lining up in the lunchroom. We have routines for cleaning up the classroom. And so we also need to think about what are our routines for thinking? Uh, what are the things that we want to do over and over and over again so that they're just second nature to us? So we don't have to think too much about it. <laughs> it just happens. And hopefully if you do them over and over and over enough times, the kids will start to internalize them and will use these thinking moves on their own. So you'll start to hear kids say, oh, I noticed this, or I was wondering this, or I was thinking this. And so you're moving from the see, think, wonder activity to them actually using that see, think, wonder on their own. And it just takes a lot of, um, practice at the beginning to really become alert to when those opportunities are in your classroom because they're there every single day. Mm -hmm. So thinking as a teacher, okay, I want noticing, I want them to be able to look really closely. I want to do that every single day. I want them to wonder. I want them to ask questions. I want to do that every single day. So as you are planning your lessons, it's like, where's the opportunity for noticing? Where's the opportunity for wondering? Where's the opportunity for finding complexity? Um, and just yeah, making it just a part of your routine. Right. One of our things that we say here at St. Thomas More is what practices do we truly want our, our scholars to have when they walk out of here? Is it that we want them to be able to do everything that we said step by step by step? Or is it that we want them to question complex issues? Is it that we want them to have a sensitivity to what's going on around them? So when we say that we don't have time for it, the question is, do we not have time to think? Do we not have time to 
want to foster a deep understanding of a concept. And so for me as an administrator, you always have time for thinking. We always have time for thinking. And granted, yes, we have standards that we have to hit and we'll hit them, definitely. Our kids will learn how to add, subtract, multiply and divide, but will they be able to tell me why they're thinking about this math problem in that way? Will I be able to take problems out? One of the things that TW does in her classes, she has the kids, she gives the kids an answer to a problem and they have to determine the math that would have gotten to that answer. So they come up with their own word problems. Are kids able to use the concepts in that way to try to solve a problem or make a problem that gives them that solution? So I think that we always have time um, for this type of thinking and we should fight for that kind of time in our classrooms. We should demand it rather that we have the time to slow down, play with a concept, dig deep into it, uncover its complexities, and really, really have a deep relationship with it. That's where that understanding comes from. And I think that we should all as educators, even as principals, because we're head educators, should really understand that there's always time for thinking. I, I remember coming into your school last year and uh, you were proudly showing off what looks to be unfinished bulletin boards. And the <laughs> boards had maybe a few items on them or papers that looked maybe incomplete. And, you know, for some, this is unheard of. You're, you know, in a lot of schools, teachers will wait until the students finish the project and then they display the completed assignment and add some decorative artwork around it. So describe like what the interaction the teachers and the students regarding this culture of thinking in your school. Yeah, that's a great question. I know we do look a little crazy sometimes when you walk around. Um, Gerald in his webinar mentioned this term documentation, and it's a really important part of creating a culture of thinking is documenting the kids' thinking. Um, a lot of the routines are called, you know, routines for making thinking visible. We want to see what they're thinking so that we as teachers and we as a learning community can reflect on it. And that's one of the big shifts between teacher and student is and Gerald mentioned this yesterday, that the teachers really have to be listeners, not talkers. And part of us putting their work up on the wall, even if it's not completely done yet, is to say, we hear you and we're noticing what you're thinking about, and we're gonna use that to plan the next steps. So our bulletin boards become documentation of the learning that's unfolding. So we may not have gotten all the way to the end yet, but we're still documenting, okay, what are the questions we're asking now? What are the things that are popping up for us for, as a class right now? What articles are we reading that we think might push our thinking forward? And as you start to put it up on the wall, it becomes you know, a resource for you, the teacher. It becomes a resource for the class to be able to reflect on their own learning. And then it also invites the community into it because a teacher might walk by and say, oh, hey, you know what? I uh, have a connection to that or I have something that might be helpful for you as you continue this journey. How do we build classroom communities where thinking is valued? And so the first step to that, which is a continuation of questioning, is listening, changing the role of the student and the teacher. Usually the students come in and then they're just listening to us. But this is our opportunity to really monitor our students' thinking and understanding. And we're charged to become co-facilitators in our classroom. True learning comes from the teacher learning about their students, not just to build those relationships, but becoming active listeners so that we're not simply doing all of the talking, but we have a huge interest in what our students are trying to say and what's being told to us. 
And then listening to that insight gives us the content that we need to actually advance our thinking. Normally in education, we look at, well, what's the formative and, and summative assessments that we gave? And this will tell me how I bridge my education moving forward. But what if we just stopped and we actually listened to the things that our kids were saying about content and they felt empowered within the classroom that they would let us know within a writing prompt or within a dialogue with one another, what it is that we need to do next to make sure that they're mastering our content. I will say many people are probably thinking, well, we don't have bulletin boards anymore. <laughs> that world is gone. Um, but that same idea exists in a Google Classroom. It can be in a slide deck or it could be on Seesaw with uh, videos. And we actually have even better tools now to document thinking than we did before. But the act is just uh, sharing it back and think, okay, this is what we're thinking about today. Uh, here's where we are. And some of our pre-K teachers are the best at this because they're sharing their kids thinking on Twitter and inviting you know, other teachers to comment on their thinking and their kids thinking and getting ideas from them about where to go next. I love that. So um, it's the proverbial, the proverbial bulletin board. It can be the Twitter board too. Right, totally. Uh, so has it been difficult to continue this culture of thinking during this time of virtual teaching? Well, you know, it's been interesting because we actually thought because, and I've, I've talked to some other schools that are engaged in this work, when the emphasis is on thinking and learning, it actually wasn't that hard to transition because it wasn't, the questions we're asking ourselves is what are our kids thinking about? What are they learning? And how do we know that they're learning? So it's, it's easier to think about, okay, well, they used to put their thinking on post-it notes and we used to hang them up on the wall. Can we do that on a Google slide deck now? So even though the, the technology has shifted, the means has shifted, the ideas are still the same. The routines that we're using are the exact same. You know, we, we didn't throw away the See, Think, Wonder. We didn't throw away the Connect, Extend Challenge. We didn't throw away any of the, the routines that we do every day. We just transitioned them virtually. And uh, we are finding that we're getting better at documenting kids' learning because they have to share it back with us. Um, it's, it's very different than the, you know, classroom where kids would just tell you what they're thinking. Now they're sending it to you via Seesaw, but uh, it's still happening in the same way it was before, if that makes right. sense. And I like the fact that you mentioned that, you know, you can even get outside perspective as well by, you know, using those internet tools like Twitter. Totally. It's made our practice, our practice more visible to our parent community too, because now they're starting to see, oh, I noticed you did the see, think, wonder every day. Like what's, what is behind that? And we said, well, what we really want is for them to internalize these thinking moves. And now the parents are saying to us, oh, you know, my kid was asking me the other day about such and such, you know, and we're like, oh, awesome. Thank you. We need that thinking. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. For us. Yeah. I, yeah. And I honestly thinking about it, do you have any suggestions to parents um, to help them continue this, this um, you know, way of thinking in their own households? Yeah, I mean, we have told the parents, like, these are the thinking moves that we're really interested in right now. And if you could use them at home, that'd be great. So I keep saying see, think, wonder. That's a, a really easy one to start with. But another one that we use a lot is called color symbol image. And so we taught parents, okay, this is the routine. This is how you do it. As you're reading a story at home, can you ask the kids to choose a color that represents a theme? Can you ask them to go through the book and see if there's a favorite, a favorite image that they think really captures the essence? Or maybe if they could pick out a symbol. Um, what symbol do you think really represents the moral of the story? And so we're trying to equip them with the same tools so that 
you know, the learning is consistent across, you know, places. So it's not just with your teacher, it's with your parents, it's wherever you are. Right, definitely. Um, So can you tell us where should teachers begin in order to start using this strategy in the classroom? So I can tell you where we began Mm -hmm. and then, um, you know, kind of encourage folks to go in that direction. We started with Ron Richard, uh, his research around making thinking visible. And he's got a book called Making Thinking Visible. And he's got a new book called The Power of Making Thinking Visible. And both of those books are really easy to read and really easy to use. And they're actually, all of those routines are now online in the, t- in the thinking routine toolbox as well. So, but for us, we started with just the see, think, wonder. And we decided as a community, we were going to get really good at that one. We were going to understand that routine. We were going to look for different applications of that routine, think about different ways we could do it, um, just to familiarize ourselves with the idea of thinking routines in general. And then as we got good at one routine, then we started to look for opportunities for other routines. And that kind of has led us on a journey where now we have a toolbox of 30 routines. Right. Um, I like that strategy idea because, honestly, when you go to that you know, the Project Zero Toolbox website, I mean, I don't even know how many, you probably know how many, but there are tons of different resources and ideas and it can be overwhelming to look at and to know where do I start. So I like that idea of choosing one and get really good at it. Yeah. And, you know, they're very nuanced. Like these researchers have really taken big topics and put them into a tiny three sentence, I mean, a three word phrase. So it takes a lot to really understand, okay, when they say see, what are they meaning? Okay, well, that thinking move, so each one of these words is connected to a thinking move. So see is really connected to looking closely, to noticing, to observing. So if I really want to get good at see, what sort of things am I asking my children to notice? Um, A lot of times people will confuse see and think because think is really about making inferences. So a lot of times you'll hear kids say, oh, I, I see... Um, power. And it's like, well, can you put your finger on power? Or is there something in the picture that you see that makes you think of power? Oh, actually, I see uh, a fist. And the fist is what's reminding me of this idea of power. Mm-hmm. So you're moving from close observation to then making an inference and then to asking a question with wonder. And so, you know, sticking with one routine and really delving into the nuance of it is really fun. And then If you really want to go to the next level, if you do a see, think, wonder, if your colleague does a see, think, wonder, if four or five people in the school do a see, think, wonder, bring all of that work together and say, okay, how did you do it? What what was interesting to you? What popped out at you? What was challenging? Because sometimes you use a routine and it totally flops. And you're like, well, I did a see, think, wonder, but I actually didn't really want them to wonder. (laughs) I had an idea of what the answer was. And so I wasn't really asking for much of an interpretation. You could say, okay, well, now we know why that didn't work out so well in that context. But by looking at how other colleagues are using it, sometimes it prompts you to think of new ideas. Oh, I hadn't thought of it. I could do it with a book or I could do it in a math class or I could do it over here. I could do it with an article we're reading or work of art. Right. I love that idea. Well, I want to thank you for your time. And I'm glad that we were finally able to highlight the effort that you and Gerald have spent to change the way that your teachers instruct. And in order to promote deeper understanding for your students. So I know you're extremely busy and I want to thank you for your time and I will thank Gerald as well. And I'm actually going to, just so you know, I'm actually going to insert some of Gerald's audio from the webinar into this 
episode as well. So it'll help us. Awesome. Cool. And you know, Vicki, I will say one more thing that um, Gerald and I have been going to Project Zero at Harvard, um, which anybody can go to. They do summer institutes, but right now they have webinars online. And then there's also a community in DC called DC Project Zero that they host free local PD if you want to go to events or go to museums um, and use some of these strategies. So there's books you can read, but there's also live events all the time. Oh, perfect. Um, which is what Gerald and I do. We're just kind of like little groupies and go to different events and try new things. Perfect. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll drop that into the episode notes. I'll put those links. So thank you. Thanks. All right. Well, have a good day. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Talk Bye. to you soon. Bye.